Hi folks, today we have a double header here at Philly Built. First, we talk to a real estate investor who's going into Philly neighborhoods and redeveloping properties one parcel at a time. Then, we talk to a community activist and zoning facilitator who's pushing back on neighborhood redevelopment when she believes it doesn't serve her community's interests. So that's today's show and we hope you enjoy it. But first, let's go to the mailbag. Hey, Vern, it's producer Joe. How do you do today? Hey, Joe, how are you? Did you have a nice vacation? I did. It was lovely. Uh, nice to have some time off. Yeah, yeah, but good to be back in the flow. And yes, sir. Uh, speaking of the flow, uh, here's today's question for you. Yep. Um, a reader, listener, writes in and says, I'm building a sauna inside a condo in Philly. And he was issued a commercial building permit, which is required to do alterations of this kind. Uh, and the permit states, post a true copy of this notice in a conspicuous location on the premises. Permits must be posted for the entire work approved herein is performed. Failure to comply will result in issuance of violation. So the condo unit has a few entrances, a main entrance, a building entrance, and a unit and entrance. And what he wants to know is how does one know which location is conspicuous or not? Right. A general rule is uh, for zoning notices, and I think the rule would be the same for building permits, uh, is to put it in a hallway or a mail room uh, when you have a multifamily dwelling situation like this one. Uh, But just to be safe, if he were my client, if the condo building has three entrances, that could be possible uh, to post, I would put them in all three. The, the actual building entrance, the condo entrance, and then the, the unit entrance. And take photos so in case anybody uh, files a complaint, you have proof of posting. And now back to the show. Irfan Raza is a graduate of Temple University and the principal of Raza Homes a local real estate investment company. And he's changing the streetscape of Philadelphia neighborhoods one address at a time. No big, splashy, ground-up projects like the ones that show up in social media or local newspapers. No, instead, Raza Homes focuses on rehabilitating existing single-family and multifamily homes in order to offer newly rehabbed housing at reasonable rents. We start today's show talking to Irfan about how he got started and why his model of holding on to properties reflects a positive outlook for Philadelphia's future. Irfan Raza from Raza Homes. Welcome, Irfan, to Philly thank, Built. Thank you, Vern. Really, really excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so when folks talk about developers, oftentimes what comes to mind is a large corporate developer that put up 60, 70, 80 units at a time, big buildings, 55 feet in the sky, uh, gets lots of attention from social media and neighborhood newspapers. But the overwhelming majority of the folks who are developing and redeveloping in the great rebuild um, are folks just like you, uh, one parcel at a time, one building at a time, uh, single, double, triplex, quad, uh, parcel by parcel, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood. What drives you to do it that way? So it's, a, it's pretty much a function of how I started. Um, 
I was a CPA when I first started getting interested in real estate. I started seeing uh, the the aspects of um, investing in real estate, how that could help me financially. And I continued my profession as a CPA while building uh, one house at a time. So one small single family uh, turned into two small single families a year into three or four small single families a year. And that that mindset just kept kept working that way. And uh, eventually got to got me to where I am today, where I'm doing several single family projects, small multifamily projects. Um, and I think that's that's basically one of the the functions, right? What what you have to work with. So I had a little bit of capital to work with. Uh, at the time I started, there wasn't as much financing. Financing increased, and I was able to utilize the financing. Um, other people, th these bigger developers, they might come from Wall Street. They might come from New York. Have more access to capital. Have more access to raising funds. And because of that. Uh, the the play to build 60 units at a time, 100 units at a time becomes a lot more act attractive. Right. Uh, now, your, your way of doing it, uh, does it inoculate you from big downturns? So I think just me being in Philadelphia helps. Um, I wanted to get to that. Are you from Philadelphia? So I, w I was born in the suburbs of Philadelphia, okay. um, raised in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Okay. I, uh, I went to school at Temple University, started my career in, uh, in, at KPMG in Philadelphia. So I do have some Philadelphia roots, but right. as, so, as you know, uh, if you're in the airport and somebody asks you if you're, if you're from Philly, you have to name a neighborhood, otherwise you're not from Philly. So. That's right. <laughs> and so is it uh, as a result of just being in the Philly area that you decided Philadelphia is the place I want to do this, or were there other considerations? So it all started when I was at Temple University. So um, at Temple, I saw other developers coming in, running, running to students. I saw how much they were charging the students, and it just seemed like it made sense. And that's when, when the light bulb hit. Uh, I needed to find a way to get into this, needed to find a way to, to, to buy houses and, and, and uh, rent them out. Um, interestingly enough, I, I, after the education that I received and, and uh, getting into the corporate world, I bought my house very short, my first house very shortly after that, but it wasn't related to student housing. I actually went in a little bit different direction, but in Philadelphia itself. We, we saw that uh, uh, Point Breeze at the time had a lot of opportunity and we, right. were, uh, we were lucky enough to, to identify a neighborhood that sh showed a tremendous amount of growth. Yeah, and looking at your portfolio, you don't really do a whole lot of student housing. Um, you seem to be more in real, you know, family neighborhoods, you know. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Point Breeze because I guess what I notice is, is that you're not also something that happens often uh, with developers, even folks who do it at your level. A lot of times they, they buy a property They'll, you know, they'll, they'll put lipstick on a pig. It looks really wonderful with good f uh, finishings. And then they'll flip it, uh, which is, you know, sell it for, for more money. You hold on to almost all of the properties that you take on, right? Yeah, I, I hold on to a lot of properties. So as many properties as possible um, that I can hold on to. Uh, so I do flip a few. Um, 
I think I, I do try to keep a, a great product when I do flip, right? Since I'm holding it, I know that we need to pay attention to roofing, plumbing, electrical, making, making sure that there's no problems with those because they, they can cause issues right. um, if we're not 100% on those items. And we take that same level, that same mindset into our flips as well. So we're trying to pr produce a good product for for our uh, for our flips. So uh, and pretty much the same product that we're keeping ourselves, right? We we know what to look for. We know uh, what to make happen. So we we don't have the headaches after after we sell or after we rent. Right, because I guess the last thing you want to do is become a repairman, right? And and have to field calls. Uh, because the roof was done shoddily or because the walls weren't put up right or the electric is faulty. Uh, that That's not the business you want to get into. Is that correct? Well, yeah, exactly correct. Minimize those calls, right? I, I think even if you, you, you buy the best new construction on the block, you're always going to have one or two issues on those, one or two oversights. We, we use multiple checklists uh, throughout the construction process to uh, minimize those problems as much as possible. I'm glad you brought up Point Breeze. Um, it is a neighborhood experiencing tremendous change and shifts, um, not just in real estate development, but in other areas as well. Uh, what What's the approach that you take as an investor, as a redeveloper, when you go into these new neighborhoods, new to you, um, and the dynamic with the community? So, for me, I think as soon as a neighborhood gets the the news article write-ups, as soon as they're talking about it, I'm basically too late to to purchase that neighborhood. I'm I'm looking for the neighborhoods that are just in the edge of uh, just in the edge, right? So when we went into Point Breeze, nobody. Uh, the young professionals weren't really buying or purchasing properties in Point Breeze, and we were we were heavily focused in that Point Breeze area. Um, as far as the neighborhood dynamics, uh, it, it could be one or two things, right? So we could search for an area that has a lot of vacant properties, a lot of uh, vacant lots, vacant shells, and and they're in an area right next to an area which has seen a lot of development, and just get in there early because we see that there might be opportunity for others to buy those vacant properties and vacant shells and rehab them. Um, in other neighborhoods, uh, we can look for solid communities. Um, for example, West Oak Lane has always held a solid family-oriented co uh, community. We, uh, we identified that as one of those areas and uh, there is some distress there. Um, but we could build that distress and, and rehab those distressed properties to to match the match the community needs. So it, it's pretty much one or the other that we're looking at. And, and when you do start to rehab uh, in distressed areas or in otherwise uh, more solid neighborhoods that have a bit of distress, how are you received interpersonally? <laughs> I I think that. Um, Everybody is different, right? So some of the neighbor, neighbors see what we're doing, see that we're cleaning up the backyard, cutting down trees, uh, making things nice. And then others see us as a problem. And um, I think that relates to, to the anti-gentrification mindset or whatever it relates to. Um, but I think we're, we're a lot different than other developers, right? So again, we're, we're holding most of our properties. We wanna see the best for the community. 
because we're, we're heavily involved in the community. Uh, we're not just flipping and dumping our properties and just, just trying to get the highest amount building. We're trying to build, build right, right? So right. Uh, do, you, do you reach out and communicate that to folks on the block or you know, leaders in the neighborhoods? So the, the most communication we have is through, through zoning and RCO meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, we have shied away from too many zoning changes uh, because the costs are a heavy burden for developers such as myself, right? So um, you have a certain fixed cost that you have to, uh, I guess, break the threshold on um, uh, through zoning, right? You have lawyer fees, you have architect fees. And I think the small multis that I do uh, it's very heavy burden. It's a it's a very he- heavy burden to go through the zoning process, but that is where we have the most communication with with the community groups, um, and that is that is how I know that uh, a lot of the community uh, has has an issue with these large scale developers. Uh, but I think when we present, we we try to keep it uh, very well known that we are a smaller scale developer and we are holding most of our properties, right? Um, so when we get accused for just uh, uh, building properties and dumping them, uh, we try to clearly explain that that's not our main goal here. Our main goal is to purchase, rehab, clean up a, a property that was uh, heavily distressed and and uh, and making it a usable property and putting it into the community as a, as a positive aspect. Where do you see, you mentioned the, you know, the city of Philadelphia is becoming or has become a city of meds and eds. And I, I, you know, it's a general consensus that that could really be a driving force of our economy moving forward. Um, will that be uh, part of the saving grace of the real estate market uh, as new young uh, folks who come in to work in the sciences, uh, work in the universities, uh, as Drexel and University of Pennsylvania continue to build these research facilities. Uh, will those new folks coming in uh, uh, be the saving grace of the rental and or uh, uh, homeowners market? Uh, absolutely. So in, in terms of meds and ads, I think that's a driving factor in, uh, in rental demand. And we saw it very clearly during the, the COVID uh, era. So to give you a little example, a story. Um, we had one property in Brewerytown, and before COVID, we had that out for rent, probably in the July August timeframe, and we had heavy demand on that property, uh, so much so that uh, we had an out-of-state graduate student fly from um, the Midwest to see that property, put his deposit down. Uh, and make sure that he he had the right to the property, so he had housing for his his uh, his graduate session at at whatever it was Temple University or, or Drexel University. Uh, compare that to the COVID time frame when um, when the 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 schools were pretty much shut down. They were. They were running however they were running. I'm not exactly sure, but there was a, a, a lot less demand. And that same property uh, took several months for us to lease out because we didn't have the demand that we had because of the, uh, the, the education that we have in Philadelphia. So I also think that a lot of these uh, students that, that stay in Philadelphia 
they see the, the great positive stuff that Philadelphia has to offer. Uh, they, they, they stay there as young professionals as well, right? We have, we have a ton of, uh, of great jobs in the Center City area. We have, if it's not in Center City, we do have King of Prussia, we have Cherry Hill, um, all the way in the Willow Grove. And, and uh, I, I think that just creates an easy access point if you're living in downtown Center, uh, Center City or in the, in, the, uh, in the surrounding neighborhoods, you just have easy access to get into uh, a, a very nice job market. Right. One, you mentioned all the things that the city has to offer. And, you know, one of the things I think we could all agree on is the Philly food scene, um, which has always been a, a driving force of our uh, economy. And I, you know, you work in a lot of neighborhoods, West, South, North Philadelphia in particular. Uh, when you want that one meal, that quintessential Philadelphia meal, you know, that's unique in some way, form or fashion. What's that one place? You got to pick one. What's the one place you go for that meal? I think I'm going to get beat up pretty bad about <laughs> this one because it has to deal with, uh, with a little bit about cheesesteaks and everybody in Philadelphia is very strong on their cheesesteaks. Right. right? So, we all have opinions about that, right? So but I'm going to go... I'm going to go very non-conventional cheesesteak, right? It, a conventional cheesesteak, I probably have a different answer, but a non-conventional cheesesteak, there's a place, Little Sicily 2, in uh, South Philadelphia off of Delaware Ave, right? They have a, uh, a spicy chicken cheesesteak, and that is, that's awesome. Uh, okay. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not like your Geno's, it's not your Pat's, it's not your Tony Luke's. Uh, so I, I, so I little, want to say that with a disclaimer. So. Okay. So not Little Sicily one, Little Sicily two. Is that right? Yes. Little, little Sicily, Sicily two, spicy chicken cheesesteak. I'm I'm getting it in the car after this, and uh, I I know what lunch is going to be. So thank you for that tip. Uh, All right, awesome, Irfan, and thank you for being here today on Philly Built. Uh, Irfan Raza Raza Homes. Do you have a website in case folks want to visit? So I have two websites, rasahomes.com and Property Buyer Connect. Those are the, the best websites to visit. Well, thank you again for joining us today, Irfan. And, um, I'm going to go get that chicken cheesesteak now. Okay? All right, awesome. Take care. Thank Bye you, Vern. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Vern, got another question from the mailbag. Sure, Joe. Okay. This listener writes in and says, when I was a kid, there used to be lots of storefronts used by card readers and fortune tellers. Today, they are extinct in Philadelphia. What happened and how hard would it be for someone to open up a fortune teller shop today? Well, that's a great question because I do. I remember myself, lots of them all over the place in Old City on South Street. And what happened was those places ultimately closed uh, and rezoning happened used to be a lot easier to open a storefront as a fortune teller or a card reader or a palm reader. And now you've got to look for a classification that most neighborhoods never have, not even neighborhood commercial corridors. Most neighborhoods have commercial corridors or corners at the CMX1 or CMX2 level. That's where most of our commercial neighborhood commercial corridors are. You've got to search for a property that goes to CMX3 before you're allowed to have a fortune teller shop or a palm reader or a card reader.
place as a matter of right. What kind of, uh, what, what, what does CMX3 kind of contain? CMX3 is uh, fifth and market, like fifth and market. Yeah, but I mean, like, what kind of businesses? Oh, it's well, well, it's usually banking buildings, like larger sorts of places, Uh, and the CMX3 gets us a lot higher as well than your standard thirty-eight feet. So, like the old Wells Fargo building on the corner of Fifth and Market, that's CMX3. Well, but wait, why then are bad? Why do banks and fortune tellers share a zoning code? <laughs> I think it was a way for fortune telling to be removed from commu- from neighborhoods and communities. Oh. I think that was the design. I think it was a little bit of uh, social engineering, if you will. Um, but it's very difficult to get to open up a shop as a fortune teller today because in order to do it, chances are you're going to need a variance because you're going to find a place on South Street or another commercial corridor or any particular neighborhood corner that's going to be CMX1 or CMX2. And if um, I think if I had a client who wanted to open up a fortune-telling place and asked me to get a variance for them, I think I'd turn that job down because I think it would be just too difficult to get. Few neighborhoods are seeing a building boom more than North Central Philadelphia, both near and around Temple University. Many people credit the early aughts policies of former Mayor John F. Street and his NTI, Neighborhood Transformation Initiative, for laying the groundwork of today's great rebuild. Mayor Street's program condemned and demolished existing properties through eminent domain, in order to jumpstart new real estate development. In the second chapter of today's doubleheader, lifelong Philadelphian and zoning facilitator and Democratic committee person, Judith Robinson, challenges that narrative and any redevelopment that doesn't serve her community's interests. I understand how how things are done in Philadelphia as far as development is concerned. So I always try to strike a balance between the developer, the council people, the myself as a personally and the community. All of these balancing acts uh, are really needed because um, development was created way back in the uh, street administration when they had the NTI program, the Neighborhood Transformation Initiative back in 2000. Uh, That's right. There was a lot Where of demolition took- to create right the environment for these developers to come along and build back on these vacant parcels. So I wasn't that a good that policy? <sighs> was it? No. Was it? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Well, okay. All right. So this is, this is again, you know, a matter of perspective here. We had 30 to 40,000, uh, abandoned properties, uh, falling down. Mayor street decided, we're going to do something different than the previous administration. Instead of focusing on Center City, we're going to go into these neighborhoods. We're going to take by eminent domain properties that have been long neglected. We're going to demolish and get them development ready. And a lot of people credit Mayor Street and that NTI for the great rebuild that's going on currently. 
Now, well, you're one of the well, you're one of the few. Yeah, I want to hear your perspective. Yeah, on unfortunately, that. yeah, with my background, so I know that as a real estate professional, I get something called a city certification, and uh, through the uh, license and inspection, it will verify that there are no violations on a property. So what I did in my advocacy is I took the list, for instance, Strawberry Mansion was considered the prototype area for this demolition program, NTI. So I took the list and I went back to see how raggedy are these properties? How badly do they need to be demolished? What kind of condition are they in? And few had the violations to the level that rose to the level that these properties would need to be demolished. So that concerned me. Plus, um, interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're that saying that is what concerned me. So you're saying the program didn't just demolish. Um, dangerous uh, or to human habitation properties or properties that were falling down, but properties that weren't as bad. Absolutely. I walk past several properties to this day that are still standing. People are occupying them. And that's how I used uh, my advocacy to back the process up a bit from demolishing properties that did not have to be demolished. And we requested especially in blocks that are mostly intact, that had maybe one or two abandoned properties. Why go in and mar that block by demolishing properties? We looked at the negative impact of having a property demolished next door to an occupied property. The heating bill goes up. Uh, the Maybe even some damage to the property happens with the demolition. Um, there were major concerns about just coming in and demolishing properties without real input from the community. And we wanted to also be con really um, clear that these properties absolutely were imminently dangerous. And we found that many of them were not. How about that? That's fascinating. Yeah, and we could document that. Yeah, and I could get addresses till now. We still have the property address um, that are either still standing or were knocked down. And then I even received letters from people who were maybe out of town or, and didn't know that their properties were going to be demolished. In addition, there were liens placed on these properties. So even now, you have people who own names are still on the vacant land where their properties were demolished and they're paying liens of now 25 to 30,000 when uh, if they might have been encouraged with some resources, they could have repaired the properties and brought them back up to occupancy. So we, we challenged the NTI process, $385 million that were used to mostly demolished when we thought we could have a combination of the model of demolition and then some rehab and some encapsulation for future development. It did not have to be that type of disregard, um, disrespectful demolition. It was just a bit much. And yeah, I did. I probably was the only one that used my expertise as a real estate professional to go back mm. and do the kind of research and I believe I testified at every single hearing 
of the <laughs> I understand information uh, initiative. I I understand you you testify before city council more than probably any Philadelphian <laughs> of the 1.6 million time. of us. Yeah, that's what yes. I understand. That's that's the word in city yes. council. Right. <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah, so much it's, so that it's I'm also, giving myself a citation. <laughs> you know, give yourself a citation? How about that? A citation, uh, yeah, yeah it, I gave myself. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Strawberry Mansion because I happen to know um, that you are an advocate or were an advocate for the restoration of the home of John Coltrane. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Talk John to me about Coltrane your efforts. House. Well, um, two things. Um, the John Coltrane House is uh, mired in a lot of uh, tangled title. Uh, the owners her, uh, is deceased. His wife, who was trying to fulfill his dreams, is deceased. Uh, now the family members, the next generation, have title, but it's in some kind of a trust or some issue such as that. But the community, quite naturally, is very much interested in having uh, that house refurbished, having it expanded if possible, and also having it uh, available for uh, tourism, quite frankly. Uh, and that right. is somehow moving along. But I never want to limit it, our community and our interest in historic preservation just to the John Coltrane House, because we now have a very aggressive uh, effort to also save the Tanner House, the famous artist Henry Ossower Tanner. House 2908 West Diamond Street is in dire need of stabilization, much, much more uh, in need than the John Coltrane House. So we're looking for a real, complete, community, comprehensive preservation plan. So it's the John Coltrane House, the Tanner House, you have Pearl Bailey House. We even found out about a new uh, development uh, uh, preservation project, uh, famous artist Paul F. Keene near 20th and Diamond. So it's the whole area that we would like to preserve all of those houses, Pearl Bailey, uh, folks we uh, don't, didn't know of, such as Paul Keene. Right, so well, speaking a of- A whole comprehensive plan. I did not know that. That's fantastic. Uh, for folks who may not know, uh, the artist Henry Asawa Tanner was a, uh, an American artist and the first African-American yes, painter, really, to gain international attention and acclaim. Uh, absolutely. Moved to Paris. Uh, he lived in Paris for a while, and, uh, and he studied yes, uh, most... at the Académie Julian uh, and then right. gained acclaim in uh, the French artistic circle. So that's pretty fascinating. Right. And it is, and he lived right in the heart of North Philly at the that? Strawberry Mansion, uh, 1872. His father, Bishop Benjamin Tucker Tanner, purchased 2908 West Diamond, and his father was a powerful minister. Uh, his uh, sister was the first black woman, a woman, to be licensed as a doctor in Alabama. 
Uh, he had all of these very important family members. They intermarried, very highly educated. His uh, niece was um, Sadie Tanner Alexander. She married Judge Raymond Pace Alexander. She was born in the property. They had their wedding. She and uh, Henry, I'm sorry, uh, Raymond Pace Alexander had their wedding there at the property. Uh, we were that? researching so many men and women of the day, convene meetings at the house, and uh, it, it's a very powerful history there. We say one house, many stories. It's a powerful thing, and we can't <laughs> wait to get that property stabilized, which I say, again, is in much dire condition in the John Coltrane house. But all of those properties together give us one beautiful space in North Central for tourism into the future. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Uh, I remember Pearl Bailey. I would love to see her house, you know, uh, and I would it's certainly uh, get a, get a kick out of visiting beautiful John Coltrane's property. house for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you wear a lot of hats. That's a fascinating. I do. Uh, I do. Judith. <laughs> it's a, now you're, you're out and about in the community all the time. Uh, and yes. I know you. I, I know what you do. You do door to door. You you know it's it's basically you know hit hit the pavement. So there's plenty of opportunities for you to grab a good meal in this town. My final question to you today is: When you want the best meal you could get, not home cooked, out and about, where do you go for that meal in Philly? In Philly overall, or just in my yep. neighborhood? That's, Which one? In Philly? You, you, t you tell you tell me wherever you want to wherever you want to take it. We can keep it okay, to the neighborhood so, if you'd like to the ward, right. whatever you'd like. Okay, all right. I'll I'll got two places for you. So okay, uh, Maxwell Caribbean. I love a Caribbean meal. So uh, jerk chicken or oxtails. So I go to Maxwell, which is and where's at Maxwell? 17th. 17th, oh, 1700, uh, 17th in Susquehanna, I'll say. 17th okay. in Susquehanna, right in the neighborhood, walking distance. They have the best Caribbean food, and it's not a sit-down, it's take-out, but uh, well worth the trip. Delicious, always. Tell them I That sounds you. great. All right, that sounds and great. I love it. the second place, the second place is South Restaurant. 600 North Broad Street. They have excellent jazz and delicious food. I From like, the South? Uh, so, it's Southern called food? South Restaurant. Uh, it's right. a mixture, mixture. It, it was gonna, you're gonna get your collard greens there. Yeah, you're gonna get your cornbread, but then okay, they step awesome. it up a bit and add a little wow to it. You know, they'll take you around, uh, you know, New Orleans, uh, you know, they'll do, uh, French uh, cuisine, so so it's a little more upscale, and uh, understood. You're be able to enjoy elevated Southern, quite yes, elevated Southern, and um, you're going to enjoy great jazz. Well, that sounds great. There's far too few places where we can get live jazz. You know, gone are the days of Zanzibar right. Blue and and Warm right. Daddies. Right, these are the folks um, who right. These are the folks, same brothers, Brian and brothers, who own. Uh, Dan's Bar Blue and Warm Daddy. Is that a fact? Right? How so about that? So this is their new restaurant. Well, yes. I'm, 
Yes. Well, then I'm, I, you know, I used to go to Zanzibar Blue on a regular, so I'm going to have to get up yeah. to see South. Six. So you said 600 North Broad. Yes. 600 right. North Broad. All right. Awesome. Judith yeah. Robinson, thank you for your time, for your insight and perspective, for all that you do, uh, and will continue to do. Um, I really thank appreciate you for the, the, the time. I really appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, and thank thanks you. for being a part of Philly Built. Bye now. Thank you. Bye now. Well, that's our show for today, folks. Thanks for listening to Philly Built, powered by phillyzoning.com. If you have uh, an inclination, please share our podcast. Let your friends and family know all about it. And uh, if you have any questions about zoning, please visit phillyzoning.com. We'll see you next time.